Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the surprise Thursday edition of The Yard. How about that? You weren't expecting to get a bonus show, and you know what? You're going to get a bonus show, and you're going to get your regularly scheduled Friday show as we break down the Bulldog defense and some of the position battles you need to be aware of. I just felt after today, and I have had several conversations with several friends since our chalk talk with Coach Joe Moorhead, I just felt that maybe you guys had some of the same questions and had some of the same level of interest in what Coach Joe Moorhead had to share with us. And there's been some video out there. There have been some discussions about that. I just wanted to share with you my takeaway from all of this, not just about Joe Moorhead and his willingness to sit down with us, but also some of the things that were discussed and um, – I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be mean or disrespectful, but uh, for some of our folks in the media, Joe might as well have been been speaking in Spanish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like some of it, and some of it is very, very technical. You know, and and I, I think that I'm a guy that has a pretty good handle on football, and obviously never, ever, ever had to run anything as sophisticated as what Mississippi State runs. So it was extremely educational. But some of the guys in the room, you know, people, friends of mine, you know, people, people that I've kind of had a good time with about this, there were times that Joe would run through something, and I, I would think I'd have a good handle on it. You know, pretty good, you know, because, again, there's some terminology stuff you kind of got to get down with. And I would look over there, and I and, and they would just look dumbfounded, you know. And, it's been, and But Joe was very, very good, I'm very, very good. There were some things you know, the first time through that maybe we didn't get, and he kind of stayed with it. And... Uh, so I, I wanted to uh, to kind of talk about some of that because we have never had this opportunity before with the media. 
I thought about this today. The only time I ever remember Dan Mullen doing this was in 2016. We had had a really rough year going, and obviously Dan kind of needed some friends in the media that year. And I don't know that it was just something that um, that he had thought about doing, or it was just one of those things that just kind of organically happened. But after a Monday Mullen press conference, and I, I want to say we lost the ball again the week before. It was a tough week. But after the SEC network cameras were off and after we were done with the formal press conference, Dan kind of sat out there and just kind of talked football for about 20 minutes with us. Kind of talked offensive philosophy, talked about some plays and some reads that, you know, that we made the right read, we didn't execute here, and some things like that, and really kind of explained where Mississippi State was. And, and of course, it was a lot of it was off the record. And I really felt like, you know what, this was really cool of Dan to kind of give us, you know, some kind of ex parte communication to kind of explain some things that maybe he couldn't address in a press conference. And I think in many ways it kind of built some trust between Dan and uh, several members of the media because he answered some questions very candidly with the cameras and microphones off, kind of for our own general knowledge. That's the only time when Dan Mullen was here that I, that I ever felt like that there was ever that kind of a kinship moment you know, with all of the media. And again, Dan was very good to me when he was here at Mississippi State. I, I have no complaints about, you know, there are, for other people say Dan was kind of difficult to deal with. And, and a lot of that is, you know, I think Dan is one of those kind of people that's difficult to get to know because he doesn't really need to know a lot of people. He has this little inner circle. And so he just didn't really, you know, he didn't need friends in the media a lot. And so, but, uh, but yeah, it was one of those things. And this was was what Mullen gave us on steroids. What Joe did today was absolutely tremendous. And so I want to give, uh, even though this is a bonus show, I want to make sure we give a, the proper hat tip to our great sponsors. Uh, Campus Bookmart, absolutely love Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. When you meet her, you'll love her too. You absolutely will. You might even want to get your picture made with her. But uh, Campus Bookmart, they're going to outfit you and your family. In the latest and greatest maroon and white fashions, you can now fit your home, your RV, your office, whatever that you have, where you live, where you reside, where you spend your time, you can decorate every bit of that with uh, the novelty items they have there, and you can clothe yourself, and there's nothing better than clothing yourself in the maroon and white of Mississippi State. We encourage you to visit them when you come to town, if you can't make it to town anytime soon, go to campusbookmart.net. Go ahead and outfit your family. Get them uniform for the upcoming football season. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to give you a promo code, BSR. That's the phrase it pays, BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that will get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. So, we, uh, we, we had Joe come in. It was very, very informal. We, we, had, we had a catered meal, okay, it, and it wasn't, wasn't extravagant. It wasn't like a big Thanksgiving Day spread. Had some barbecue, baked beans, coleslaw, potato salad if you were so interested. No dessert. How about that? No dessert. No banana pudding. I, I'm kind of disappointed in that. But no, seriously, no, it was great. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was nice to have the meal. So they bring us in. We had the meal, and then uh, we go to the team room. You know where Joe traditionally has his meetings with the you know, with the players, and so he comes in and he says, "Hey, here's what we're going to do." And uh, they, they pretty much let us know ahead of time. Hey, listen, Joe is not going to talk about Mississippi State. He's not going to talk about the team or any personnel or any position battles or transfers or recruiting. All of that is going to be saved for SEC Media Day today. We just want to talk kind of philosophy, talk some football stuff. And it was really a chance for Joe to kind of, you know, kind of pin the curtain back a little bit and let us kind of see behind the scenes of kind of how they install plays, the terminology they use, how he explains this to incoming freshmen and, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, very, very educational. And and I'll tell you, I feel much more knowledgeable but I also feel like I have a better understanding of Joe Moorhead. I, you know, hearing Joe explain this and to see what a great teacher of the game he is. Because, again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, 
there are a lot of guys that, that are involved in sports, a lot of guys that cover sports that don't know a lot of sports. And that's not me being disrespectful, okay? Dave Murray is one of my heroes. Dave wasn't there today. Dave's a guy that can really paint the picture probably better than anybody in the Mississippi State media. Just, just a great writer. And, and I've learned so much from David over the years. But if you ever wanted to talk X's and O's with Dave, he just he'd tune out on you. That's just not his cup of tea. And so the way that Joe taught the room, and again, as I said, some guys were a little bit hesitant. You could tell they were a little bit intimidated uh, by, the, by the knowledge initially. But by the end of the deal, I think everybody felt really good about their grip on things. And so so Joe gets up there and says, hey, if you got, I'm just going to sit right here and, and we're going to use the clicker. And it wasn't like they had some big, you know, it wasn't some big PowerPoint thing where they had all these bullet points. It's just Joe pulling up a play and showing us, you know, kind of the chalkboard. You know, there here's how we're going to line this thing up. Here's everybody's route. Here's their responsibility. Here's what they're going to do. And so he kind of broke it down basically on a transparency and so you've got everybody lined up he described the formation and so he talked about and what we specialized in this particular play was about inside zone and so for those of you guys that know anything about the uh you know the spread offense we ran it with dan we ran it you know with joe you know the inside zone is a huge staple in the spread offense because of the fact you know, and for those of you that don't understand what inside zone is basically we're going to run a play we're running kind of that the best way to describe it is just you know when Nick would snap it and kind of turn to his left and put the ball in Eris Williams or Colin Hill's stomach and then read the defensive end and then he would decide to either pull it or keep it and, and then or hand it to the running back or pull it and throw it that's the play Okay, that's what – and listen, you can run some outside zone. There's, there's a lot of other variables of this thing, but this was specifically about inside zone. And so because of the fact this particular package group is, is called the, the Grays package. Grays, because he says, again, it's because of inside teams, it's because of their alignment, basically teams that run like a little 4-3 cover two. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that term, that's four down linemen, three linebackers. Cover two is, uh, you know, you cut your secondary position. You're going to run a lot of cover two zone type stuff there. But but all that being said, he it's a it's if you're going to run Gray's package left, it's called the Gazelle package because it's a G with L's in it. Simple, right? And if you're going to run the Gray's package right, that's going to be Giraffe. And so that basically tells you the personnel group and then the alignment. And so if we're aligning left gazelle we're lining right giraffe it's a pretty simple concept it re- i mean it really is and so then joe takes us through all 11 players this is this guy's responsibility that receiver is going to go up and he is going to make you know he, he's going to go up and initially run it's an option route and he's going to show posts but then he's going to read if the mike linebacker sinks here the safety pulls up then the route is a little bit different and really that route is a decoy route but he goes through, he starts with an X receiver and goes all the way through. Goes through every offensive lineman. You know, this guy's going to work here. And this guy's going to, we're double teaming here. We're blocking A gap here, B gap here. And so he goes through every guy and he explains this particular package is kind of predicated on the tight end. And this formation's a tight end because that's the, you know, that's the receiver. That's the key element in this package. And then he, after he explained everybody's responsibilities, then he went and kind of taught us the decision-making process for the quarterback. And it's one of those things that you, when you hear it and you feel like you've got a good working knowledge of the spread option offense, and that's really what it is. It's really, it's really kind of a glorified option. And so when he began to kind of break it down and you hear about how this is all predicated on quarterback reads – you don't really have a knowledge of that until you see it in action from an X's and O's standpoint. There are some there's some high school football coaches right now listening to this this show, and they're looking at the people in their car and saying that that's right. You don't know because I'll tell you as as much time as I have spent 
watching film, watching games, until you know what the responsibilities are for each guy. You don't know what you're looking at. You think you do, and you can kind of you know, hypothesize, well, here's what I think they're trying to do here. And that's one of the things where people get in trouble kind of doing that amateur film review is they don't understand the responsibilities. That's, that's, that's one of the things that I love about the Matt Wyatt package. You know, Matt Wyatt was an SEC quarterback, so Matt has some built-in credibility. So when Matt breaks down film, I feel like I'm learning something. I'll get out my popcorn, I'll sit cross-legged, and I'll sit there and look at Matt because Matt knows what he's talking about. When I watch film for myself, you know, I think I know what I'm talking about as far as a beat writer goes, you know, as a layperson. But when when you hear the guy that designed the play, a guy that understands the nuance and the responsibility of all 11 players, that he, you know, he, he set this thing together. He picked this play, you know, put his own spin on it, put his own fingerprints on it and said, hey, this is our play. It'll open your eyes. Because there's one of the things, and I want to share this because I, I don't, I don't know that I fully appreciated how quickly you have to process information as the quarterback in the Mississippi State offense. If and, and that was the same at Penn State and other other places, but you have to process information unbelievably quick. Now there's a lot of things that are pre-snap reads and post-snap reads and that sort of stuff, but he talked specifically about you know when the quarterback so we're gonna we're gonna run the, we're gonna run inside zone so we snap the football and so our quarterback then turns left and puts the ball into Colin Hill's belly and at that point he has a decision to make and so what is that decision based on well the initial read obviously is going to be the defensive end or the outside player. It may depends on the form. It may be an outside linebacker there. But the guy at the end of the line, we're going to look there, and, and, and that's that's going to be, you know, our key. That's going to be our, our, our keep key. I can't remember the exact terminology that he used, but we're going to pick right there what the run key is. Okay? Do we pull it? Do we keep it? But he explained it in a way that I, I thought really, really made sense because it's not just as simple as reading that that guy it's not just about one thing there's there's certain elements and he broke it down to we're going to read athlete we're going to read eyes and we're going to read demeanor now what that means is the athlete of course is the player okay so we're here's what we're going to do we're snapping the ball we're going we've got to identify who our key is this is the guy we're reading because based on how he chooses to defend the play it's going to determine how we execute the remainder of the play so you're going to read the athlete and there, there are some situations too and, and Joe kind of mentioned this there are some situations where you're going to be able to kind of out athlete another player and so if he reads okay that you know, this guy has quarterback responsibility maybe that's a defensive end well Nick Fitzgerald knows he can run right by that guy so you're just going to take off and run you know, because of the fact you have the mismatch. Because the spread offense is really about creating mismatches that are advantageous to your system. And so if, if we have a guy in space, if we have a defensive end, you know, trying to, to, to catch Nick Fitzgerald in space, that, that's, that's generally a matchup that is favorable for Mississippi State. But so you're reading the athlete there, but then you're looking eyes. And what you're trying to do there is to understand what what the defender is reading. So when our quarterback, let's say it's Tommy Stevens, so we've identified we're reading the defensive end. Is he Are his eyes on the quarterback or his eyes on the running back or his eyes on another player? So we're, we're reading and trying to interpret what he's reading from us. What are his keys here? And so we've, we've identified the guy, and then we see what he is reacting to. And then we, of course, will then will make our adjustment based off what he's doing. And then finally, demeanor. Is this guy blitzing? Is he getting downhill? Is he holding ground? Is he giving ground? Is he dropping into coverage? And so, again, we identify the player. We identify what we believe that he is reading and then how he is reacting to the action. And so there are three things right out of the gate. 
And then when you see it live, when, I mean, it's, it's one of the things when he slows it down, he's breaking it down, and all of a sudden when he hits that clicker and the ball is snapped, and we're, we're talking maybe a second and a half, at that point the Mississippi State quarterback has to identify the key, understand what he's reading, and then make a decision based on how he is defensing the play. Is he leaning in with leverage? You know, is, is you know that's is he scraping there? You know, there's some terminology that he used. He talked about bending. I've always heard it say, you know, with the, we watch the defensive end crash and the running back. They called it bend. He's bending, bending back. And he mentioned, you know, as a quarterback, you're going to read that defensive end, and if he shows you his numbers, then he is kind of staying home and taking the quarterback. If he shows you the decal on the side of his helmet, then he's bending back down the line of scrimmage and trying to take the, the running back on the dive. Uh, and so that was an interesting concept too to kind of you, to really break down, you know, the read protocol there. But that's a lot of information that he threw at threw at us, and I'm kind of doing my best to share that with you. And then all of a sudden, when you add the passing element to it, and in every particular play, there is always going to be a pass or run option to the offense, you know, that, that, and he discussed this at length. I mean, we're going to have, on the, on the, even on those running plays, we're going to have the option to pull it and throw the bubble because the X receiver is going to be downfield blocking and we're going to be able to throw underneath, you know. Uh, and so all of that is rather interesting because it's, you know, there are some plays, and we think about this, you know, a kind of old school football, but the game has changed so much. We think, well, you know, you just run the play. You know, no matter what the look is, you just kind of run the play. Well, when this particular offense, this brand of offense, you know, this new style of offense, this, this run-pass option, is that they're going to be run-or-pass options built into every play for the most part. And so when you get out there and it's all kind of predicated on, you know, let's, let's say we, we get through the mesh point, we decide to keep it, and you get outside, and all of a sudden the linebacker steps up and takes away the, the running play, then all of a sudden you have the ability to kind of t- to throw it out there into the flats. And so a lot of that stuff, you think you've got a good concept about it and a good understanding until you see it, until you see the thought process behind every single player. And it's incredible. That's one of the things I've always heard. And uh, it's one of the things where I think this scheme is probably a little different. And there's some truisms in football, and this is one of them that's a truism, but it may not necessarily be true. It's like, hey, you know, if 10 guys do their job and one guy doesn't, you know, the play's blown up. In this particular scheme, because of the fact there's so many moving pieces, everybody's got to do their job. But there are some checks in there that kind of, you know, when, when things happen, when things break down, you can still make something out of nothing. And sometimes the right read is throw the, throw the football away. But uh, so Joe went through that, the inside zone. Then he went to some over-under stuff in the passing game. And really kind of explain, there, there are so many things out there. there. It's basically, you know, it's not like it was, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Okay, we're just going to go run our routes and uh, try to get open. And if you notice, it's one of those things, too, about different eras of football. You know, people want to go dig up those old stats, you know, from the 70s and 80s and kind of compare eras. And that just didn't work that way. It was a different game, you know, back then. It was a little more robotic back then. And now there's a lot more option-style routes where guys are basically – making adjustments based on what the defense gives them. And that's really what Joe talked about. There is one particular play that, uh, you know, we have seen it many, many times. And you begin to ask yourself, okay, why do we always run that play? And it's it's really because it's, it's an automatic pre-snap read. Joe and his staff like to call it the access throw. The access throw. So what that means is when the quarterback steps to the line, and you've got the X receiver in single coverage. You look out there, if there is no safety help outside the hash mark, which usually means there's one high safety, or if there's two high safeties, the safety to the throw side is inside the hash mark. And the corner is giving you inside leverage. Well, that five yard out is going to be open every time. And some people, as Joe says, calls that a gift throw because they're giving you a gift. And we're going to take that just about every time. And so he explained throughout the course of the afternoon when that was available, when it wasn't available. And obviously, if people come up in press coverage, they take that away from you. If they roll a safety to that side and it gets outside the hash, that's not going to be available to you. And so 
there were several times he would say, "Okay, here's the here's our pre-snap alignment. What are you gonna are, are you gonna throw it here?" And then we'd raise our hands, and a lot of times, a lot of us got it wrong. Uh, I think I had a pretty good handle on that aspect of it. There's some other things that uh, you know when he got a little deeper into the progressions that you know, like everybody else, I was swimming a little bit. But it's one of the things that he shows that, that there is a very simple process in all this. It's a very sophisticated scene, uh, system. But there are some very simple aspects of this. It's as simple as, okay, we're going to come to the line. If they give us this look, if they don't have safety to that side, safety help to that side, and then, our, and then the corner's giving us inside leverage, that we can complete that pass anytime we want to. We can run that five-yard out, which is what he calls the access pass, whenever we want to. There are some other times and some other reads and other plays where you know you go out there and you run the comeback route. And he showed us one one play in particular where we had the right call, we made the right read and the right throw, but we didn't get the ball out on time. And it was something as simple. It was the Kentucky game, and it was a throw from Nick Fitzgerald to Osiris Mitchell. And I don't say these things to be critical of any of the players involved. I'm just trying to illustrate a point here. And so Nick snaps the ball, gets back into his drop. He sees Osiris. He, he, he gets the look he wants. He steps up, gets ready, and pumps, and then he makes another another step there. You know, And so the ball is maybe a beat or two late getting out, and so Osiris has to kind of dig back into his route, and so it becomes kind of an eight-yard fall down Whereas if we get that ball out on target, it's going to be a big play. It might be 15, 20 yards there. And the point of that is just to simply show that even when we get the right look and even when we make the right throw to the right guy, if we don't execute proficiently, we can still have a good play, but if we do it correctly, it's going to be a great play. And and he didn't show us these things to kind of, you know, make anybody look bad he's just trying to make a point there and uh it's incredible how small the margins are and that's one of the things that i think that i really saw you you think you've got an idea but until you see it to actually see a college coach show it to you on film and live action and then kind of break it down and say listen here's what we did and if we had done this it would have been a bigger play and uh, by making, by hesitating just a little bit, getting that ball, you kind of, not only does the receiver have to work back a little more to you, kind of narrowing the route, but also it gives the defense a chance to recover. It gives that DB who's beat on the play a chance to get back into the play. And so there's some other times where we, you know, and there's, there's that, they love that crossing route, you know, and, and he showed us several times, you know, with, with, uh, with Stephen Gidry. Sometimes it was open and we didn't make the throw. Other times we, we worked it to, to perfection. But when we're watching football on television and in live action, what are we doing more times than not? We're following football. But what Joe did for us today is he kind of broke it down and showed us here's everybody's responsibility. And had we made this read... There were, and there were sometimes guys were completely wide open. And there were sometimes the defense was confused. And then you'd have two guys in the same area covering the same guy and somebody else is open. Sometimes we made the right throw. Sometimes we didn't. And that's really the next step in the offense is the proficiency to make the right read and deliver the ball to the right player. And, and, uh, and he kind of simplified it like this. One of the things that we want to do offensively is this, this whole principle of triangulation. We want to put three routes in space where we force two defenders to cover three routes, which is impossible, right? And so at that point, we want to put three guys into their vision, and then our quarterback then has to pick the route that's open because there's no way two guys can cover three routes. And so that's what we want to do. We want to put pressure on the defense and put them in a decision-making process. Now, of course, all that's predicated on protections. It's predicated on guys running the right routes. And that's one of the things, too, that – and Joe never said it, but I noticed today when he was running some of this stuff along, there were some guys – You know, Joe would explain, this is what each guy's supposed to do. And then he showed the play several times, and I would notice that some of the receivers didn't stick the routes. 
Uh, there was one case in particular we talked about, you know, stair-stepping. You know, you want to, we're running, we're running kind of a crossing route. We want to stair-step to make the guy think we're going vertical, and then when he flips his hip, then we're going to go back, put our foot in the ground, and go back cross again and, and cross the formation, uh, you know, across the backside linebackers. And so he explained that fundamental part of that route tree. And then when we saw the play a little bit later, he didn't point it out, but I noticed we didn't stair-step. And so as a result, the defensive back stayed right with our receiver. He was right with him every step of the way. Even though he was open underneath, there was nothing there. If you throw it, it might even be an interception. And so it's the little things like that, that's what really jumped out to me is that even when it looks like we're running the right route, if we don't run the right steps, if we don't get our steps down, if we don't do the little things, because if we, on that particular play, if we had done the little things, then that particular receiver, and I won't mention his name, he would have been wide open. And there were other times that uh, he runs what's called the basic. You know, we run, we run the basic, we run a guy up and run him across, and then uh, it's basically an, kind of an out, it's an up and in, uh, and so it's and there's a crosser on every 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 play. Okay, it's just, it's insane. There's just some fundamental elements of this offense, or certain things are always going to be there. But he showed that because of the way that we kind of scheme things out with these these routes, you put so much pressure on those linebackers. And there were times there was one play in particular. I want to say it was Kansas State, Kansas State or Arkansas. And we got Justin Johnson wide open on the basic because both linebackers went on the underneath guy. And they both vacated. And then Justin Johnson's running wide open and Nick lays it right to him. I mean, just throws a beautiful throw right to him. And and when it's exciting when you see it on film, when you see how they draw it up and then see the guys execute it properly. It's, a, it's an extremely, for a football guy, it's extremely exciting to be able to watch that. And uh, I'm eager to see, and, and I'm going to get to this a little bit later in the show, I'm eager to see what happens when we have guys now that have had a year of experience to kind of understanding the fundamental elements of the Moorhead offense. Now now that it's not new, now that we get into install, it's not Greek to us. I want to remind you, too, when you're in town, Bulldog Burger Company, absolutely the place to go break bread. Absolutely, There's no question about it. If you're looking for a great restaurant-quality hamburger, and, and my goodness, you should be, because there are a few delicacies in life as great as the great restaurant-quality hamburger. I encourage you, take your time, treat yourself, go by Bulldog Burger Company, and find your own favorites. You, you guys know what fans I am of the spring rolls. I, I believe that I'm a little bit of an appetizer snob, and my favorite one in Starville proper, without a doubt, is the Spring Rolls at Bulldog Burger Company. Go enjoy that. Treat yourself. You deserve it. Go have a cheat day. And you know what? Even if you don't want to do that, even if you say, you know what, Steve, I want to go to Bulldog Burger Company, but I still want to eat clean. You can. You can. You can get a gluten-free bun. You can get a wheat bun. You can get your hamburger served on a bed of lettuce. Okay? You can have it your way. So don't feel like if the family wants to go that you have to kind of shortchange yourself you know, maybe, maybe we've got some health concerns there. But, you know, you can go treat yourself and not just throw away all the progress that you've made dietarily. So it's as simple as that. Go by Bulldog Company. Enjoy yourself. Have that milkshake to go. Bring that with you. Have a good night. You can enjoy adult beverage as well. Bulldog Company, a place in Starkville where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. So we had the Q&A session uh, you know, with Joe, and uh, I thought Mike Nemeth asked probably the question of the day, and we all had some things, you know, a lot of it is because we needed some clarification, some things, and there's some things, you know, like, hey, you know, Joe, kind of an if-then, what happens here? But, uh, you know, Mike Nemeth asked the question, because, you know, Joe, I watched a lot of Penn State even before I knew that Joe Moorhead was coming to Mississippi State. So, and basically what what Mike is kind of alluding to is, you know, Penn State was really innovative at times with their play calling and with their design, and, and we didn't look like Penn State last year. Now, to be fair, and again, this is not throwing shade at any Bulldog. I, I love them all. You know, we didn't have Trace McSorley at quarterback, and we didn't we didn't have Saquon Barkley at running back. We didn't have a second-round draft pick at tight end. Okay, we didn't have NFL receivers running free in the secondary. Okay, so... There are a lot of things schematically 
that we didn't show because we don't have the personnel to run that. But Joe also made an interesting comment. He talked about a lot of that stuff is opened up because you can be proficient in the passing game. When you begin to, when you when you can make some plays consistently down the field, it opens up room for creativity. It opens up room to just hand the football off and let the running back run wild because of the fact those safeties are having to kind of vacate the box because they've got to defend the deep third. And so he, he went in depth about that and you could you could tell that Mike had kind of hit a hot button issue there. And, and Joe kind of navigated it around it, you know, kind of politically correct. I'm not, not saying that Joe didn't answer the question, but Joe was also very mindful of the fact that he wasn't going to make any negative comments about former players. You know, the bottom line is this, and we've talked about it, and we all know it. You know, we had some guys that were recruited to run a different offense. We had some growing pains last year. But after watching this today, after watching film, of Trace McSorley, after watching some film with the Mississippi State receivers and Nick Fitzgerald last year, I begin to think, what what does this mean for Tommy Stevens? This is a guy, and Joe said, you know, that he when they get started installed at fall camp, he'll probably know 80-85% of what we're going to do because there's been very few changes in the two years since Joe has uh, left Happy Valley. And so Tommy's going to go in and kind of understand. He's going to know our terminology. He's going to understand, you know, the packages. He's going to understand what we're trying to accomplish with the scheme. And so as a result, he's not going to be handicapped. And then I begin to think about the fact that this is a guy, number one, that is healthy for the first time in a long time. But also this is a guy that feels like he's got a little something to prove. He's no longer in the shadow of Trace McSorley. And, and you could argue maybe he got a raw deal at Penn State this year. You know, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. You know, James Franklin's got to do what he thinks is best for the Nittany Lions, not for Tommy Stevens. There's a bigger picture here. It's not the Boy Scouts. And so maybe they felt like, you know what, if we're going to have a new starter, I want to invest in a guy that's going to be here for a couple of years. I don't want to have a new starter this year, a new starter next year, and have three starters in three years. I want to sow my oats and then – reap the benefits of that next year. I don't want to have to start over again next year. And so there, there's something to be said for every bit of that. But also, you know, Stevens is going to come in here and understand how important it is to make those plays down the field, and he's capable of doing that. He has the physical skill set to make those throws down the field. And listen, this isn't Jill Moorhead speak. You know, we heard it, you know, from Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. You know, he said, hey, Tommy Stevens was the surprise at the Manning Passing Academy because he goes out there and he makes all the throws. Big, tall, physical kid with a cannon for an arm. And really, that we didn't really have that. You know, and Nick's a big, tall, physical kid, but he's a run-first guy, and that's not being negative about Nick. You know, Nick basically ran the split-back veer in high school, ran the wing tee. You know, that's what they did. He was in a run-first offense. I, if I'm not mistaken, he only he only threw it, you know, maybe 60, 70 times in his high school career. And then last year, you know, we expect him to open it up and and really be something that he hadn't been trained to be. You know, Dan Mullen kind of built an offense around what Nick was good at. It was very successful for us. Very successful. You know, Nick's the all-time leading Russian quarterback in SEC history. But Joe Moorhead's offense scheme is different. And so you've got a guy recruited to run a scheme different way. And he comes out and, and, listen, Nick gave us the best he could give us. Right? And, and I, there, there is a debt of gratitude owed to Nick Fitzgerald. I, I think about those long days of him finally finding peace with his leg in pieces, you know, in a cast, propped up on a couch somewhere, awkwardly just trying to get a moment of relief and him thinking every day is I just want to get back out there in that Mississippi State uniform in Davis Wade Stadium and make the Cowbells ring one more time. I don't forget about those things. I think some of our fans have forgotten. I don't forget what Ole Miss did to that kid. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I don't care what anybody says. And so I've got, I believe that we owe a debt of gratitude to Nick Fitzgerald and I wish a lot of this negative commentary about Nick Fitzgerald would kind of go away. 
was Nick Fitzgerald paid a tremendous, tremendous price to be our quarterback. And so now that era is behind us. And we've got another guy coming in that could prove to be a stopgap guy. Tommy Stevens could be the guy to come in here and bridge the gap. And maybe that means Keaton Thompson develops into what we need him to be. Maybe that means Garrett Schrader becomes that guy. But Tommy Stevens gives everybody another year to kind of figure this thing out. And Joe wants to win this year. And so I began to think about all of that today when I watched these throws being made. Because some of these throws that were made, I don't know that we have made them consistently in years. And I don't just mean the Nick Fitzgerald years. I mean, and that's one of the things, too. We have such a revisionist history about things, right? I remember heading into 2015 Dak senior year, all the criticism was about, well, Dak's got to be a more accurate passer. Dak's got to be more accurate. We forget that. We forget that. You know, Dak's completion percentage was not very good as a college quarterback. He got better. He did. But watching this offense run to its full potency uh, today, watching a quarterback have to make these decisions quickly and deliver the football timely, uh, you begin to really see why, even more so, Tommy Stevens needed to be brought in. If we're going to run that scheme, if we're going to go right here, if if we're going to have any hope of of really taking a step forward as a team this year, I I think it's got to be Tommy Stevens. And again, I think he, I think Keaton Thompson will elevate his game because Keaton is a gamer. And I have watched Keaton make a lot of these throws. But there, it is a read-based offense that is predicated on a quarterback decision-making. And I, I think Tommy Stevens coming in helps Keaton Thompson. It may not help him as much this year, but I think he helps him going forward. And again, I, 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 don't, I can't sit here and say that Keaton Thompson is not going to be a factor in this thing because I believe that he will be. Because I think Keaton Thompson will have some packages that he can run him, himself. Uh, but you know, Keaton is a guy too that he has the physical skill. He just hasn't been asked to do a lot of these things until last year, and so there is a learning curve with that. And again, and I'll say this, and I've said it on this show many times: I am a Mississippi State guy first. I am a player guy second. What I mean by that is, is like say for example, if one of our players transferred, I will wish him well. But my allegiance will remain here with Mississippi State. I want what's best for Mississippi State. When my child was playing college baseball, my interest was in him. When he played junior college ball, my interest was in him. I wanted the team to win, uh, and I wanted him to go out there and be a contributing part of that. But uh, my allegiance was with him. It's reverse with Mississippi State. My allegiance was with Mississippi State. I don't follow players. I follow a team. And so when I think about what is best for Mississippi State, after watching film today, I think if Tommy Stevens is is as advertised, I don't think there's any question that he is the quarterback of this team. I will be absolutely shocked if he is not the starter. I, I said before today that I believed he'd be the starter in game one, and then we'd see how it went from there. But watching this thing today and watching to see what what needs to happen, uh, we need a guy that understands how to run this thing and a guy that's seen it all up close. Because Keaton Thompson, and to be fair to Keaton, Keaton did not see the Mississippi State Joe Moorhead offense run at its full potency last year. He didn't see that. Tommy Stevens has seen that. Tommy Stevens played in that. He played behind Trace McSorley, one of the best quarterbacks to ever wear that uniform. He saw that that offense won a Big Ten championship. He was part of that. And so he has seen what this offense can be, and I think that is an undervalued point in this entire discussion. Is While Tommy may not have been the starting quarterback and may not have had a ton of reps, and I've said those things myself, he has seen what this offense was intended to be. Keaton Thompson has not. On film he has, but he hasn't seen it in person because we have not had the personnel really to make that happen. And, yeah, maybe we do now. With Javante Payton coming in, Isaiah Zuber coming in, Stephen Guidry healthy, 
Devontae Jason a year under his belt now. Maybe we've got that now. Osiris Mitchell, if he makes a similar jump than he did last year, he'll be playing on Sundays. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So before we get out of here, number one, I want to remind you, too, if you hadn't done so, go to StarkVillains.com and order about 15 shirts. Go ahead and do that today. Everybody in your family deserves one of those shirts. Go to StarkVillains.com. You can get them in your, your – most of you guys can get them in your high school colors. You can get them in maroon and white. You can get them in black and white. You can get them in black and gold. Get a V-neck. You can get a hoodie. There's so many things you can spend on that. And Listen, trust me, when that book comes out and you read these great stories from the Bulldog greats of days gone by, you're going to want to identify as a Stark villain. You're going you're gonna to fully appreciate that. Go ahead and get ahead of the game. Go to StarkVillains.com. Order yourself some shirts. Go do it right now. Stop. Pause the show. Go do it right now. Go to StarkVillains.com. Order your shirts. I have so many people, they'll see me. I'm wearing one. Oh, man, I, can't, I, need to remind, I need to get my shirt. Stop. Go do it. Go do it. So before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about our, our conversation with John Cohen. I'm going to run a feature on Monday. It's John kind of talking about, you know, the challenges that college baseball faces. And, you listen, John is a great advocate for college baseball. And he's going to be on that selection committee. But because of the fact, John is going to really develop a relationship and rapport with some of the difference makers in college baseball. And, and listen, funding is a big issue. But, you know, John makes a great point. In order for college baseball as a whole to take a step forward, we have to have other regions. It can't just be a regional sport. It can't just be big in Texas and California and the southeast. And Michigan winning and competing and playing at a high level, that's big. That's big for the game of college baseball. And John said that before. In order for college baseball to really spread, we need the Big Ten to be competitive. And he's right. We need some northern teams to be competitive. And it's very, very difficult, you know, with, with baseball season and open in the middle of February. But he kind of made mention of the fact, too, you know, he went and watched the Pittsburgh Pirates play against Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee and how much those people love baseball. And they would love college baseball, too, given the opportunity. And baseball is America's national pastime. We love baseball. And I think in many respects, college baseball is a pure form of baseball, especially with the Major League Baseballs being juiced right now, and I agree with Justin Verlander. I think they're trying to add some offense to the game to get people in the seats, you know. But, uh, you know, college baseball is big, and John John will be a great advocate for the southeastern region. He will be a great advocate for the southeastern conference. But after speaking with John today, you know, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this will work because I think John is now in a position where John can kind of plead our case, plead the case for college baseball. And listen, not just among the committee members, but I think John is a guy, this will be beneficial long term because John is such a great advocate for college baseball because John understands how to communicate with people. That's one of the things, too, and I've shared this with you guys before. When John's name was first mentioned as a potential athletic director candidate, I didn't know anything other than competitor John. Knew John as a fiery competitor, as a college baseball player. You know, you know how intense he is as a coach. I said, you know, how does he dial it back and go out and kiss babies and, and hug necks and raise money and that sort of stuff and, 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 and come to find out that's among his strong suits, you know? But John is a guy that understands how to communicate with people where people, number one, feel that they are valued, feel that their uh, opinions are valued. John is a great listener. He's a very cerebral person. And he made mention of the fact that, you know, he didn't know a lot about this new role, so he's going to do a lot of listening and learning before he really begins to exert himself. But John is going to do a great job in that role for the for the Southeast. There's no doubt about it. He will do a tremendous job. And so if there has ever been a guy that, that can get into the inner workings of things and kind of figure out how things work and who enacts change, that's John Cohen. It's John Cohen. And, uh, you know, we're celebrating an unprecedented year of athletic success at Mississippi State. And so he walks into that room not only with credibility as a baseball coach, as a guy that 
went to Omaha as a player and a coach at Mississippi State, a guy that won an SEC championship at Kentucky and at Mississippi State. So he has nothing to prove to anybody uh, from a resume standpoint as a baseball player or coach. But also, too, a guy that has an extremely well-rounded athletic department. And so John can walk in there and, you know, John doesn't have to go in there and hand his resume or his business card to anybody. Because I think John is a guy that people understand. This is a guy that is doing things the right way in college athletics. You don't hear his name being mentioned in connection with scandal. You don't hear about his budgets having to be cut. Right? You don't hear about those things. You don't hear about him having to make these coaching changes or having to to go out and explain away some scandal. That's just not the way we do business at Mississippi State. And that's not to say that we're not going to have a problem at some point. You know, Mike Nevitt and I talked about that. You know, you know, and, and this is where I give Dan Mullen some credit, but I also think this is about the Mississippi State culture. You know, Dan Mullen didn't recruit bad actors. That's one of the things that I don't think he got enough credit for. Dan recruited good, quality human beings to come play football at Mississippi State. We just didn't have a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah, we'd have a public drunk every now and again or a speeding ticket, but we just didn't have these issues. And when there were issues, they were handled immediately, and they were handled severely because we weren't going to jeopardize our culture for a player. We weren't going to jeopardize who we were for a player. And people can say, well, you know, they let Jeffrey Simmons in, and, you know, thank God we did. You know, thank God we did. Because look at the difference that Mississippi State made in Jeff Simmons' life. And look at what a difference Jeff Simmons made at Mississippi State. He reminded us of what's great about the Mississippi State family. But a lot of that just goes to show you this is, this is a principles before personalities deal. This is the culture at Mississippi State. This is who we are. We don't have people come in here and change us. The culture changes them. Because the expectations to come in here and win and do things the right way. We don't have a bad booster culture at Mississippi State, like some other people do. I'm not saying I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm not saying that we're you know, we don't have people out there that hadn't cut corners in the past. That's not what I'm saying. And I asked John today, I said, you know, how how do you kind of convey your expectations to your coaches? And he, he mentioned that. He goes, I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, he talked about how effort means so much. He goes, you know, I want you to come out every day and compete for a championship every day. Do what it takes every day. And he goes, you know, and when you lay your head on a pillow at night, you'll know, you know what, I did it. He goes, I've never put you know, a number of wins on the board and saying this is success for us. It's about effort. It's about grinding, about getting after it. And if you look at, at what we have at Mississippi State now, in the short time, listen, Larry Templeton did a great job fiscally at Mississippi State. Limited budget. He didn't have the ESPN money we have today, okay? So Larry kind of taught us to be good stewards of our money. We're never going to outspend anybody, not within the conference. You know, we'll go take Indiana's baseball coach, you know, because we can outbid them, not to mention the fact that we've got the greatest baseball stadium in all of the country. But it's about expectations, you know, and it's about being good stewards of our money. And Larry taught us that. And then Scott Strickland comes in here, and, and, and you know, I give Scott a lot of Greg. Well, I give Greg Byrne a lot of credit too. Greg was doing some innovative things. You know, Greg, you know, kind of ushered in a new era for us. You know, made some difficult decisions to kind of, you know, to kind of change the way we did some things. And I give Scott Strickland a lot of credit for our branding. You know, Scott understood the importance of the Maroon Fridays, and, and he made it a big deal. Uh, the hashtag, the Hell State, you know, that, that might be Scott Strickland's legacy, is the Hell State thing, rather than Vroom Maroon, or whatever that crap was that that advertising company tried to sell us on. And so John has had some predecessors that have done a great job, but nobody in our history has had the on-the-field success that John Cohen is having right now as an athletic director. There's no question about it. And so when you begin to look at the steps that were taken and what John was able to observe up close and personal as a coach here at Mississippi State and as a player here, he understands the Mississippi State story. He can sell Mississippi State.
not just as a coach and as an administrator, but as a person. John understands who we are because he is one of us. And he understands what's important to us. And so when he goes into these meetings, John is going to be able to tell the Mississippi State side of the story, but also, too, tell the Southeastern Conference side of the story. And one of the things I think is rather interesting, too, you know, it is Greg Sankey is, is our commissioner. He has to look out for everybody. But let's be honest. You know, the Alabamas, Floridas, Georgias of the world, they're the blue bloods. You know, they're going to be taken care of. But, man, look, look at the situation now where Mississippi State has some friends in high places when it comes to this conference. You know, John Cohen has a great relationship with Ross Bjork, which I think is, is funny. But, you know, Ross Bjork's no longer at Ole Miss, and how he parlayed all that mess into a job at A&M. I need to hire his agent because he is outstanding. You know? uh, but Ross is now at Texas A&M, one of the largest endowments in the country, one of the, 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 the greatest fan bases in all of college athletics, Texas A&M. You know, Ross is there. Uh, Scott Strickland is at Florida. You know, the powers of the SEC East. Uh, Mitch Barnhart, longtime friend of John Cohen's at Kentucky. Greg Byrne, another guy that gets great experience at Mississippi State. And so when you begin to look around the conference, we have positioned ourselves politically about as well as we have ever been positioned in the history of Mississippi State athletics. Let that sink in for a second. We used to just kind of be the also-ran in this conference, but now we've got some friends in high places. Now we've got some some other people that say, you know, hey, let's think about this. Let's think about what's fair for everybody and not just what's good for us. And so when you begin to think about this era of Mississippi State Athletics, I really believe it's really just beginning. It's really just one of those things where you look at and say, you know what, things are going great right now, but they could be better. And the one thing that John Cohen said that fired me up is, said, you know, do you feel like a national championship is the next step? And I think that was a stupid question. I think it's a very obvious question. And, and let me rephrase that to, to call it a stupid question. That's probably a little bit rude. But it's a very obvious question. And then John says, you know, without question. And we're right there. We've got so many coaches so close to getting there. We're going to get there. And I thought it was very timely that John mentioned our javelin program. But you know what? We got the best javelin thrower in the country, and it just so happens we got the number two and three guys as well. John has a spoon in every pot, man. He is pay. He pays attention. He doesn't neglect those non-revenue-producing sports. He had those guys over at his house, cooked them a meal, you know. And that's there's a respect there because John is a competitor, and John also understands too what it's like to be shortchanged. You know, as an athlete, because baseball didn't always get get its due. And that's not to say Mississippi State didn't take care of its players, but you understand my point is that John understands what the partial scholarships things are all about. He understands how important it is for somebody to recognize your accomplishments and your sacrifice at this university. And so, again, it was a great day, and I just wanted – I just felt like you guys needed to have the insight. Now, we've got that Q&A with John – posted over on Gene's page. Uh, Mike Nemeth put that together for you. Paul Jones did a great job kind of putting an overview article together about the Chalk Talk with Joe. We're going to do that again next year. And uh, one of the things, I hope we can get Bob Shoup in there and talk some X's and O's with, with Coach Shoup. Uh, but yeah, I thought Joe was outstanding. And for these guys to give up their time to come meet with us in the media, they got, and listen, SEC Media Days is next week. They could have said, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my vacation. I'll see you guys next week. But that's not what happened. They made time for us. And uh, I was very, very eager to get in there because I didn't know how this thing was going to roll out. But I left really feeling like I had a better understanding of what Joe wants to do offensively. And I appreciated the fact that he took some time to teach us a little bit about how he sees football and how he sees defense and how he wants to coach the offense. He didn't owe us any of that. And I, and, and I, you know, being a guy that really likes to know the behind-the-scenes stuff, I, I, for one, and I think I, for all the media, I, I appreciated it. And uh, when, when people first thought Joe was done, there was even kind of a smattering of applause. 
Uh, that's how well the guy did. And so I, I, th- I begin to think about just what he showed us in an hour. When he's got it, he mentioned, you know, he's got 100 hours a week. But uh, when I think about him sitting down and explaining to a player, okay, here's your deal. Here's your job. You can see why the players get it. You can see why they appreciate Joe as their coach. And uh, I look at this and I begin to ask myself, you know, people say, well, you know, Steve, can he win? And I, I don't I don't think that's the question. My, my question is, is how much is he going to win? Why, why, why can he win? And why won't it work? Because when you see the, you know, the, the thought process behind this and the the amount of hours and uh, research put into this, and, and I could spend another hour talking about all that, but I won't. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm very excited about the direction of our football program because now I see things in a different light. I kind of see the why behind some things. You know, we saw some things develop, and then when you go back and see them on film, and that's one of the things you always hear the coaches say, i got to go back and watch the film. Well, when they showed us the film, then all of a sudden you're like, well, hey, you know, if we had done this, and if we're a little quicker with this, and if this guy does this, and we seal here, or we cut here, then all of a sudden we've got a big play. And it just goes to show you that, that the margin for error in the Southeastern Conference is absolutely minuscule. And Joe Moorhead's doing the things that he thinks is necessary to kind of give us the advantage to to make sure we hit those margins. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. Again, thanks so much for your patrons at the Boneyard. Uh, really appreciate you guys more than I could ever say. And I just felt like you you needed to hear from from me about this day because it was a tremendous day. And we, we've talked about kind of shifting from baseball mode to football mode. Today it really kind of did it for me. It, it really got me fired up for football. So I encourage you, if you hadn't bought your season tickets, you can still do that. Even though the deadlines have passed, you can call ticket office. Mike Ritchie's people will take care of you. Don't shortchange yourself. Get involved. Be a shareholder in Mississippi State Athletics by being a season ticket holder. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.